she mentioned that. And, you know, and she said that a lot of us like to keep our ashes. Wow. You know, like to go, see my ashes? You know, <laughs> kind of thing. And, and, you know, and if you don't want to show your ashes off, we also have a tendency to just keep a, a secret store of ashes back here, you know. Got my ashes right here. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. And as a result, we tend to feel unworthy. We tend to feel like um, God loves everybody but us. We tend to feel like um, we want to wallow in ashes for a while. But he's zealous for you. Would you stand with me? Let's read a, let's read a passage from John chapter 2. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and the power and the life of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would anoint the things that are said today, because I know that in myself I've got really nothing to offer. But But through you, there's life to offer. And so give us hearts to understand and ears to hear what you want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The cleansing of the temple is one of those those incidents in Jesus' life that all four Gospels record. There are only a very few of those. Uh, Obviously, the crucifixion. Uh, the resurrection are recorded in all the Gospels. Um, the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the ones that's recorded in all the Gospels. Uh, the cleansing of the temple is recorded in all the Gospels. However, there's a, a little bit of difference here and, and some confusion because of the timeline that's involved. Because uh, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all record the cleansing of the temple at the beginning of Passion Week, which would have been toward the end of Jesus's ministry, or actually at the very end of Jesus's ministry. Uh, John seems to place it uh, at the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and 
so what do you make of that? You know, there, there, are, a couple of, there are a couple of explanations for that, but before I, I mention either one, let me just say that I, I've, I have no problem with the fact that they put them in different places time-wise. Uh, in fact, I, I kind of rejoice in that. I kind of like that because it means that these geniuses, these literary geniuses who got together and created a new genre to tell us the story of Jesus Christ that they had all made up, supposedly, as some people would say, uh, were not such geniuses that they got together and decided, let's get our story straight. So to me, it kind of says they weren't trying to get their story straight. They were just telling us what the Holy Spirit would have them tell us when he would have them tell us to it. Get to us. <laughs> I should write these things down sometimes before I say them. <laughs> uh, some are of the opinion that Jesus uh, must have cleansed the uh, temple on more than one occasion. And maybe he did, but that really seems unlikely to me. I mean, really? I mean, after he did it the first time, I would think that the second time they would kind of go, uh-oh, he's making a whip. Somebody call, put, put in a call to the, uh, to the guards. We know, we've seen this before. And, you know, the first time, at the beginning of his ministry, he didn't have the kind of public support that he had as he came into Passion Week. You know, I could kind of see Passion Week, you know, he comes into the town multitudes are shouting hosanna to the son of david and waving palm branches and and throwing their coats on the ground for him to ride over and rejoicing that he's here he walks in and he wants to cleanse the temple and i got a feeling that people went well, you better let him but at the beginning of his ministry you know he comes he comes strolling into town with about 12 guys with him and they walk into the temple courts and he gets a whip out and starts to drive everybody out i don't I don't know, that would have probably met with some pretty forceful opposition, I believe, at the time, if that had happened. Uh, and also, the Gospels, the, the, the difference, one of the big differences in the, the, the different accounts is those first three Gospels also record Jesus saying, you've, you've turned my father's house into a den of robbers. The Gospel of John, he says, you made it a market. And if he did it twice, I think he would get rid of the robbers first. I mean, seriously. And I'm glad my wife appreciates my <laughs> insights. But I mean, really, I mean, you get rid of the market and you let the robbers hang out for two years and come back and sort them out? I, you know, I have a tendency to think that I think there was just one. And I think John just really wasn't all that interested so much in the proper chronology of things i think there's a reason why i put it here when john talks about passion week he actually is focusing on a couple of other important incidences probably the most significant one being the the raising of lazarus from the dead uh, and i think he put it here because the second chapter of john that is really the the kickoff to jesus's ministry and did you note how I cleverly worked the phrase kickoff into, into the sermon today? Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> that is, has no significance whatsoever. But he, uh, 
he puts it at the beginning of Jesus' ministry because I think that this zeal that he has for the house of God is something other than just a building. And it's the foundation of all of what Jesus' ministry was about. Well, why were these merchants and these money changers there? Some of you heard me talk about this before, but let's look at it a little bit deeper. They were likely providing a service. Moses wrote over in Deuteronomy 14, uh, if the place is too distant and you have been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, and in those days for most people tithes would be a share of crops or it would be uh, some animals or something, then exchange your tithes for silver and take the silver with you and go to the place the Lord your God will choose. And he went on to say then, you know, you can, you can exchange that for proper animals there and have sacrifices there and, and eat the right kind of meals there. And so they were providing a service, if you will. And then also elsewhere uh, in Exodus, everyone who crosses over to those already counted, these were, this was a census of the Israelites, is to give a half shekel according to the sanctuary shekel, which weighs 20 geras. All of you familiar with Geras. Uh, this half shekel is an offering to the Lord, and it was for the upkeep of the, of the tabernacle, for the upkeep of the, of, the, uh, of the temple. And so it was called the temple tax, but it had to be paid with a particular kind of coin. And it wasn't the kind of coin that people normally used, and so they had to exchange their money. So these people were, these people were providing a service. And they had a monopoly on it. And, you know, you've heard me say that I feel like they were exploiting the people with a monopoly. You say, well, the Bible doesn't necessarily say that. Well, how do we know that they exploited the people with their monopoly? Well, my question would be, have you ever known anyone who had a monopoly who didn't exploit the fact that they had total grip on everything? These were human beings. That's how I know that, that were, that were involved in doing this. And so... Uh, that's why, that's why they were there, and the arguments can go, you know, round and round of, of, uh, about this, whether, it was a, whether he did it one time or whether he did it two times or whether it was about robbers or it was about a market and, and what all this has to do with selling cookies in the foyer of the church because that's basically where a lot of people would take it. They can't sell cookies in the foyer of the church because Jesus cleansed the temple, and when he comes back, he'll beat you up make you and to those who would contend that it's about not selling cookies in the foyer or or paintings or whatever else may happen to be out there I would point out first of all that the meeting house which is what this is is not analogous to the temple we'll talk about that a little bit later on but you know if that's a conviction that somebody holds I totally respect it you know if they if they feel like they can't shouldn't sell anything in their foyer then god bless them i you know that's great i but in our foyer i don't have problem with it because i i i want to encourage people you know if the if the youth want to sell some cookies and make some money i like cookies and you know they can take them on and usually they charge a really good price for them and they can go on a mission trip and stuff like that when people have paintings out here that are for sale uh we don't take any of that money because I want to encourage them. I, I want to encourage people to go do, create something for God's glory. So that's, that's, that's the way I take it. But here's the thing. 
even if that was what this scripture is about, I think the debate is a pitifully weak use of, of this passage. Because I don't think it's just about selling stuff or things like that. It's about something a lot more important. Jesus loved his father's house. Uh, over in Luke chapter 2, when he was a boy, they, and the family went to Jerusalem. Uh, and then they left without Jesus. They, they didn't realize he, he wasn't with them. And boy, there's a sermon there. Uh, and they came back looking for him, and they finally found him. And he said, well, didn't you know I was, I'd be at my father's? Where did you think I was going to be? I'd be in my father's house. And so he, he loved his, his father's house, but he knew that this building was a passing thing. In each of the, in each of the three synoptic gospels where it records this, uh, it also records him later on saying concerning the temple, truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. This building is going to pass away. And I love the fact that he didn't then go on and say, and we got to do something about that. We, they're going to they're tear the temple down unless we do something. Why didn't he say that? Because these were stones. These were precious metals. These, this was wood. This was building material. And, and as I talked about, I believe it was last week, uh, there's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot a time to kill a time to heal time to tear down a time to build we become so attached to, to, to things to stuff if the Lord tarries 200 years from now 500 years from now it would be my dream my desire for Springhouse Worship and Arts Center to cover the entirety of Smyrna wait a minute (laughs) cover the entirety of Smyrna have people streaming from the north the south and the east and the west and they would be not only worshiping the Lord which is proper and what they should do but they would also be thinking thank you God for Pastor Ronnie Meek (laughs) and let's let's have the roll call of those saints who who built this place, Harvey Meek, Ronnie Meek, Barbie Laughlin, Wayne Berry, Bruce Coble, you know, that's the roll call of the, the great saints who've gone on before. <laughs> Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. The oldest churches still in existence are museums. It doesn't last forever. This doesn't last forever. But the temple of God does last forever. See, Jesus loved the house not because of how it was designed or what it was. He loved it. Well, actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. So let me get here. See, the original place for God uh, was, was the Holy of Holies. That, that, it was a tent. He lived in a tent for crying out loud. That was, that was where the, the holy place was, where the sacrifices are offered. And when David, got ready to, uh, when David got ready to want to build a temple, God said, I didn't tell you to do that. I live in a tent. And that's fine. You know, my people move around. I move around. Let's, let's 
just to understand. And then when Solomon came along and he built, his, built the temple, finally the Lord gave them permission to do so. When he dedicated, he said, this building can't hold you. There's no way in the world that we can build a building that holds the God who fills the universe. The earth is your footstool. Solomon's temple was built in the 10th century B.C. It stood for over 400 years. And, and then in uh, 587, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it, tore it down. That wasn't the temple that Jesus would have known during his earthly life. Uh, that temple actually was dedicated in 516 B.C. It was called Zerubbabel's temple at the time. Uh, and, you know, in this scripture, it says that it took 46 years to build the temple. Actually, they're not, they're not talking about that. They're talking about the fact that later on, Herod came along, and he added a lot to it. Now, this, it's kind of ironic that Herod was the one who actually built the grandeur of the temple that Jesus was, was worshiping in, because Herod, Herod was a, he was a stinker. He, was, he, he, he may have been demon-possessed. They called him Herod the Great, but he was a very evil man, and uh, he was, and the Jews didn't love him. He wasn't even a Jew. He was, he was an Edomian, and he had, his family had converted to Judaism, but his lifestyle certainly didn't, didn't prove it and didn't show it, and he certainly wasn't a Jew by birth. So that was, that was the building that Jesus loved that he was talking about, and, and he couldn't have loved the building just for the building. He loved the temple because of who lived there. He loved the temple because of the presence that was there first 16 years that we lived in, uh, in Smyrna, we lived on 852 Avery Valley Drive, Smyrna, Tennessee. And uh, it was wonderful. Uh, when we first moved in there, Valerie was um, about eight or nine months old. Uh, Isaac was eight. Arwen was six. And 16 years, you know, do the math. Uh, 24, 22, and 16. So, at the, so there, were some, there were a lot of things that happened during that time, and a lot of joys and a, lot of, uh, a, lot of, a few tears, not, not nearly as, as many tears as joys. Uh, <laughs> and Valerie is looking at me like, where are you going with this? Uh, because I definitely could go some places with it. But you, you probably have a similar place a similar experience you already know what i'm talking about a lot of wonderful meals eating there you know uh kids saying things and and uh and and having boyfriends and girlfriends and breaking up of boyfriends and girlfriends and it's just oh it's it's it's, it's a place that means something and it's still there but when i drive by it now it's just a house where somebody else lives. I, it's, you know, I, I, I think about it. Maybe it'd be kind of cool to go in and, you know, see what they've done with the old place. But I don't want to live there anymore because the people that made it special don't live there anymore. That presence that made it so, so genuine, so real, don't, they don't live there now. And Jesus loved the temple because that was where his father was. What authority do you have to do this? 
destroy this temple and I will raise it again in, in three days. And the Jews asked Jesus for a sign to show his authority and obviously he, uh, he gave them a metaphorical response rather than a, a literal response there because he was talking about his body. When we ask for a sign, we're usually asking God to, to, to do a show, you know, something we can tell our friends about, uh, but God doesn't do tricks. And in fact, he had already given them the sign. The authority was already there. Because as Jesus did this thing, he said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. You see where the authority is? It is written. His authority to do it came from the word of God. And that's, that's where that's where the real authority comes from to do things. Sometimes we'll, we'll move based on a sign, and you know, God gives, can, can give us signs, but the real authority comes from, comes from God's Word. It said later on that uh, people saw the signs that Jesus did, and they put their trust in Him, but He wouldn't entrust Himself to them. That's because Jesus doesn't entrust Himself to people who are just following signs. Signs are real, but if that's, if that's, if that's the basis... That's the foundation for what you're doing. He can't entrust himself to you. He knows what's inside of people. I'll tell you who he does entrust himself to, people who believe the word. If anyone believes in me, my father will love him and I will love him and we will come and we will make our home in him. And we'll sit down and we'll eat with him. Sup with him and he with me, but I don't know what sup means except... Yeah, let me tell you what's up. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Um, zeal for your house has consumed me. Perhaps Jesus was simply offended at the selling that was being done in the temple courts, but I, I prefer to think that his indignation came from his desire to, to defend the people because he came to build a new kind of temple. He came to build a temple that doesn't pass away. And, and most of you are aware of the scriptures already, but we need to be reminded. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? And that word there, temple, is actually a translation of the word naos. And it doesn't just mean the the temple, the, the, the entire area and its environs, it means the holy of holies, the most holy place, that place that, the, that the, the high priest was only able to enter into once a year to offer sacrifices. That's what lives inside of you. And it's not, it's not just inside of you. You remember that, those people that you turned to and told them how good looking they were? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's temple worship. That takes place at the temple. We are living stones. You know, I'm not going to live forever. Uh, I'm probably, I don't know how many more years I've got. I'm not going to make any predictions, okay, at this point in time. I'm, I'm kind of hoping, I'm thinking maybe 40, but I might change my mind before I get there. But when I'm gone, there's some more behind. There's some more coming up. The, this, this temple that Jesus came, the one that he, was, that he said not one stone will be left upon another, it's not there anymore. But the one that he established is still there. 
And not only is it still there, it's still growing. Looks a little different today than it looked yesterday. It, it looks different this year than it looked last year. Looks different this century than it looked last century. But it, it's, it, it's because it's alive. It's something that, that is continuous and that, and that carries on. And it meets in all kinds of different places. It meets, uh, in some places they meet under trees. Some places they meet in cathedrals. Some places we meet in worship centers. Some places they meet around the water cooler, you know, or in, or in, or in somebody's house. Or they, they meet on the sideline, or they meet up in the stands, or they meet at Walmart or someplace. They meet at, at Starbucks. But the important thing is not the surroundings in which they meet. The important thing is that wherever two or three are gathered together, that's where he is. That's the presence. That's what made Jesus love that place, because he's there. And so whenever Margaret and I are cooking in the kitchen, it's not just Margaret and I. There's somebody else there. You know? whenever, uh, whenever you're driving in the car with, with your honey and your, and your kids or whoever it is you're driving with, as I know, he's there. That's, you're not just the only ones who are there. Whenever you, you go to work and you, and you touch and pray with that fellow co-worker that, that actually loves the Lord, he's there. He's absolutely there. Because you see, when Jesus gave up his spirit, when he gave up the ghost, if you will, the scripture says that the, the, the veil at that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And this was the curtain that separated where he was from where everybody else was. The most holy place from the mundane place. And once that curtain was torn in two, in, in, uh, in the tabernacle, it had been a thin veil. By this time, it was a thick thing. Big, tall, thick thing that you couldn't possibly rip apart with, with, with human strength. Because that's what religion does. We create barriers and we keep people out and we try to keep people in. But for freedom, he set me free. And yes, I am free indeed. He rewrote my name, unshackled my shame. Is that it? Okay, yeah. Okay, unshackled. You know, I love that. I, I love that particular lyric because every time, every time that we're singing and I'm going, shame, get away from me. You know, just, just get away from me because you say, oh, you don't have any shame, do you? You're a pastor. Oh, you're crazy. It, <laughs> Of course I do. We all do. It, we, we, all, we all come in to new days and, and old days and into God's presence and, and, where, and into work and where we go. And we're the only ones who know how rotten we are. We're the only ones who know what we were thinking about doing. And that some of those things we actually did. And, and we carry that. But he, he took that veil and he rent it in two because the most holy place was now going to invade the human race. Everywhere that people breathe, everywhere that they walk, in, invade, uh, invade our space. And he wants you. He is zealous for you. He didn't go to the cross so that a building could keep standing. 
He went to the cross so that he could come to you and go, hey, let's go to lunch together. Let's, let's have a meal together. Let's, let's get into relationship with each other. That was the zeal that he yearned for. And it breaks my heart because I know that the main thing that keeps people from coming to this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is guilt. It's unworthy. It's not, it it isn't even, I don't want to hang out with those Christians, although that may be a close second. But it's, it's, this can't be for me. This is the world, if the world has taught me anything, it's taught me that if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Well, that's the world. That's the world. The good news is, zeal for you is what consumed Jesus Christ. And he lives here, the most holy place, the naos, God's house. It's where God lives, and it's where Christ wants to be. Would you stand with me? In that context, think of this chorus when we get to it, the chorus part. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burdens, who daily hears our prayers, who gives us our salvation. Blessed be the Lord who reigns over the heavens, who reigns over the earth, who reigns over our hearts. Thou art awesome in thy sanctuary. Thou art awesome, O Lord my God. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be the Lord. Thou art awesome in thy sanctuary. Thou art awesome, Those who are going to pray with people, come forward. If you need prayer, will you come forward? And if you need to, if you need to meet Christ, if you don't know Him, it's all about relationship. It's not about coming to a building. It's about creating a sanctuary. Yeah. So anything you need, you come. If you don't need to come worship with us for a few moments. You are
Raise your hand. We'll give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who dwells inside of you in fullness, the one who made you beautiful, may you understand his great love for you, his great zeal for you, and may you allow his beauty to shine through you so that light may be seen in this dark world. Jesus Christ, our Lord.